good. Well, what is it? Today's the 15th, which means we are, like I said, 10 days away from Christmas, people. Christmas is such a great holiday for me. It's like probably one of my favorite holidays. It's filled with tremendous memories from my childhood. And I've been given the privilege of getting to speak today, Pastor Jeff and Becky are on a well-earned Christmas break. And so you get me this week, you get AJ uh, next week. But I'm so excited to be here. And with Christmas coming up, I thought naturally my topic this morning would all be about disappointment with God. I mean, it's the perfect message for this season of thanksgiving and good tidings and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And some of you are probably thinking I'm joking, but I'm not. Some of you are thinking, this, this, that can't be a biblical topic, but it is. And some of you are hoping for a proper Christmas message, but let's be honest, who among us has not been disappointed at some point in their lives on Christmas Day? Yeah? Certainly this video that I'm about to show you, this poor lady is testing out a gift for her children early Christmas morning before she wraps it for them, and this is what happened. Oh, you prophetic people already know what's going to happen. Have a, have a, have a. Help me! <laughs> <laughs> And of course, the husband is doing what all good husbands should do, which is making sure they get it in frame for posting to Instagram later. But seriously, here's why I want to talk about disappointment, is we've got to face facts that, that life has seasons which are filled with disappointment. <laughs> for this side of the room. Okay, life has seasons that's filled with disappointments, and to pretend otherwise helps nobody. Right? It doesn't help us, especially when God is so eager to meet us in those seasons of disappointment. But here's the thing, unless we actually talk about it, unless we actually equip ourselves with the response to disappointment from the Bible, there's a danger that disappointment can erode or can diminish or can stunt our growth in Christ. And that is not the look we're going for this season. Amen? So what I want to do is I want to read three stories this morning. They all have one thing in common. They're all about people who ended up not getting what they wanted from God. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I came this morning. You're welcome. Because <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Jesus is the kindest person we'll ever meet. And he's not a genie in a bottle who is in bondage to every whim of our will. Uh, and learning those two truths is stressful. And if we don't learn how to submit, which, by the way, is just a biblical word for being happy to not have our own way, we won't get far in our walk with God. So I'm hoping today is a super helpful lesson about how to be in relationship with somebody who is absolutely intent on being true to who he is, while at times we wish he wasn't. Do I need to rephrase that? Do you not agree? Like there are times in our relationship with God where we're like, could you just not fudge the rules a little bit and let my will be done? Like, never? You know, that's a biblical thought, right? Remember Jesus? You know, you know is there any way that this cup can pass? Pass, by, but not my will, your will be done. So there's the, ah, but you're God. Are we all good? Okay, because if you think that's bad, it's going to get way worse. <laughs> it's just my introduction, and I've got 17 more slides to go, so buckle up. Here we go. We're going to start. Apparently, we're going to start with some prayer. Lord Jesus, as we gather 
today to, to look at your word. Lord, I pray that you would open wide our hearts, that our ears would be open to what you have to say to us, that our hearts would be receptive, and that you would teach us truth from your word. Lord, I thank you for this season. And I recognize, Lord, that this season is about joy and it is a a reminder that you're here with us. And at times, Lord, it's also a a season of sorrow and of sadness and of reflection. So would you be with us this morning? Would you give us a tremendous time? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read this passage. It's from John chapter 11. It's a fascinating story. Let Let me jump in and then make some comments. It says this, a man named Lazarus was sick. And he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, the problem is when we read a story in the Bible that we're familiar with, we kind of detach ourselves from what's happening. All right, so if I was to ask you what happens in the rest of the story, you're like, sure, Lazarus dies, but then Jesus comes and raises him from the dead, yada, yada, yada. All right, we're just familiar with it and we gloss over it and we think, well, him dying isn't that big a deal because, you know, he gets raised again. You with me? All right. But let's look at this from Mary and Martha's perspective. Uh, Their brother is sick, and so they reach out to their friend that they know can do something about his sickness. And the Lord is like, his sickness is not going to end in death, which P.S. it did, right? But they don't know that yet. But his reaction, like, hey, can you help us? He's like, well, his his sickness is not going to end in death. And then he stays where he is for two more days. It's Jesus just flexing his boundaries, Right? Well, how are you if you're Mary and Martha? Right, I forget which sequence this is, whether they fed him properly or not. Maybe they're thinking, maybe our food wasn't that good. Maybe we offended him. Why is he not coming? I think it's interesting that Matthew writes, although Jesus loved Martha, he did this thing. Right, so although he loved them, he just stayed where he was. And if that isn't hard enough, if you keep reading, Lazarus dies. So what do you do with the, this sickness is not unto death, and then the person that God said that about goes ahead and dies? Oh. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a prophetic word that didn't pan out the way you thought it might? Oh, yes. <laughs> Clearly I'm speaking to this side of the room. You guys, you'll be fine. Enjoy your Christmas. Have a great time. All right, guys. Have you ever journaled something? You felt like you heard from the Lord. You're praying And what you felt like the Lord said didn't happen? And then you're like, stupid Mark Verkler and journaling, right? I love Mark Verkler. I'm just talking about when we flash out. Have you ever stepped out in faith, stepped out in obedience, and what you felt should have happened didn't happen? Yeah, sucks, doesn't it? And yet it's walking with God 101. I remember I grew up in, in a church not like Grayson. I grew up in a very, very conservative evangelical church. And I remember 
Reading this book by Dr. Jack Deere, surprised by the voice of God, and it stirred something in me, wanting to be able to hear the voice of God. I'd never heard of people hearing the voice of God. I'd been taught to stay away from that. It's all new age nonsense. And, but, and yet I'm reading this book, and Dr. Jack Deere is convincing me that, no, God wants to speak today. I didn't know any prophets, didn't know anybody like you people. So I just humbly prayed one night. I remember praying and just said, God, I would love to be able to hear your voice. Would you teach me to hear your voice? And then I turn off my bedroom light, it's about 10 p.m. at night, and I go, to, I go to sleep. But as I'm just turning over on my pillow, I hear this voice, I hear this thought inside my head that said, call Douglas McCormick. Now, here's the problem. I know who Douglas is, and I have his phone number, but we're not kind of in the relationship where I can just call him at 10 p.m. Like, I've met him a couple of times. he probably know who I am if I call him, but we're not in relationship. And yet, I'm thinking, was that God? Is it, is it that easy or am I making this up? And so then I went into like the perfect head swirl. Ever, anybody ever do that? We're just like, well, is it God? Is it not? How do I know? I don't know. You know and so like, you know, if I call him and it isn't, I'm going to look stupid. And if I don't, I'm going to be disobedient and, you know, looking stupid or going to hell. Which one's what? You know, and so you're just, you're in this complete swirl. And I'm just thinking, ah, like who knew this was going to be so difficult? So I'm thinking, right, I'm going to call him. But I've spent so long deliberating that it's now 11 p.m. at night. So I'm like, oh, do I wait for the morning? Delayed delayed obedience, just disobedience. Ah! So I pick up the phone and I call him. And it rings and it rings and it rings. And I'm like, well, the the voice only said to call him. So I guess I've been obedient. I can hang up. Oh, no, he's going to call our ID and call me back. Is that worse? Do I wait? You know, and if I, if I hang up now, am I going to get back into bed and God's going to say, no, call him again. Ah, what do I do? So I just waited. And then eventually a very sleepy Douglas McCormack picks up the phone. He's like, hello. I'm like, hi, Douglas. <laughs> it's Alan Jones. We met. You prayed for me. And I'm so sorry to wake you up. And, you know, I tell him the whole story. He's like, I felt like God. I just want to be obedient. And so I felt like God said to call you. And so he's like, I'm sorry, Alan. I've got nothing for you. It's like, okay, well, good night, I guess. And I hang up the phone, I get into bed. I'm like, stupid book. I should have just stayed in the brethren. Like this would never have happened. (laughs) Hugely disappointing. Like, Lord, I stepped out. The least you could have done is send an angel to David to give me a word. See, this is walking with a person whose first language is not English. When Jesus meant this sickness is not unto death, he meant something very different from what Mary and Martha heard. So they have this promise, they believe, and it really gets them nowhere. Let's keep reading. Finally, right, after a couple of days, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. Again, first language, not English. He's not sleeping, he's dead. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They're like, well, that makes sense. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. This is what walking with Jehovah Sneaky is like. Right? He knows what he means and he's hoping that you do too and sometimes you don't. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Imagine how crazy that sounds to them. How insensitive that sounds. Come, let's go see him. So Jesus, meek and mild Jesus in action. Lazarus is dead and I'm glad I wasn't there. Let's go see him. You're like, okay, following you is sometimes really, really weird. All right. 
So when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now you hear pain in her voice. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. See, she'd already written a narrative about what has happened and who's to blame. Now the most common result of disappointment and unanswered questions is to allow pain to dictate the story of our life. The trouble is, pain is a terrible author and it's a liar. How you treat God in the midst of your disappointment is really, really important. That's what I hope to, to give us some, uh, some help with this morning. Let's keep reading to, to find out what happens. There's so much text, I didn't copy and paste it onto the screen. So if you're wondering why it's not up there, it's because I'm kind, you're welcome. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. He's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. An incredible story to be sure. But if we don't stop and insert ourselves into the lives of the main people, we'll learn nothing from it. See, we gloss over and we're like, yay, Lazarus got raised from the dead. But I'm like, yeah, but what was it like before he was? How were they trying to make sense of what God was doing? What was the posture of their heart? Were they angry? Were they sad? Were they disappointed? Were they raging? Were they beginning to distance themselves? Were they confused? Who knows? But here's the thing, our pain gap management is an important thing to learn to manage. Our pain gap is when we have pain and where we experience sorrow or loss or crisis or unanswered questions. All of those things that we don't like to talk about, especially at Christmas, but we have to do something with it. In my life, I've done a number of things. Sometimes I've gone to like, I'm gonna try and feel the feeling. God's trying to teach me a lesson. But usually I learn that feeling my pain gets so big, I just kind of stuff it down, go rage at my children or something like that. Right? Or sometimes I'm thinking, you know what? Let's just figure this out. Let me go to cerebral thinking. Let me turn to theology. Let me read some commentaries. Let me try and explain away what I'm feeling. 
Or at times, I've just embraced denial and pretend it's not there. But here's the thing. This gap between our pain and God's redemption of that pain is a very important gap to learn to steward well. It determines whether we grow in connection to the Lord or whether we step back from connection with the Lord. And sometimes we do that without realizing what we're doing. Let's look at the next story. This one is from the Old Testament and no, your eyes are not wrong. I'm just doing a big reveal, okay? Here's the story. This is the people of Israel. They've been in bondage for 400 years to the Egyptians and God's just redeemed them. The people have watched um, you know, all the amazing plagues and the miracles. They've just been set free. All their captors have just kind of emptied out the gold, silver earrings, given them to the people and they set them free. It's amazing, it's miraculous. It's a powerful, powerful moment in Israel's history. And then they hit their first big roadblock. And as roadblocks go, to be fair, this is a pretty big one. Let's... let's Join the story, Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. Now this, this whole heart reaction, the distressed voice that's going up in octaves when we're speaking to the Lord. How many of us recognize this pattern from our own life? The Israelites have determined their destiny before the Lord's finished his process. There's a danger that we as a people hate process so much that we prefer sabotage over outcome. All right? We're more comfortable with the lack we expect than the possibility of what we might dare imagine. But here's the thing. If God is going to call us from glory to glory, which he is, we have to learn to let go of the glory we currently occupy. What if the present glory is your major obstacle facing your future glory? What if you prefer to die in slavery than risk entering the promised land of your destiny? Merry Christmas. (laughs) But here's the thing. These people are mad at God for doing what they've asked him to do. Oh, rescue us. Why the heck did you rescue us? What are you doing? How much of that? Is that like us? How many of us have prayed and asked for God for help and then when he sends help, we're like, yeah, when I asked for help, it wasn't the help I had in mind. (laughs) Like we ask for grace, thinking it's gonna be like just this angel going, there's grace. But no, God puts us in situations that require grace and turns the heat up. You're like, this is not what I was expecting. I know, but it is what you asked for. We ask for boldness and he puts us in situations that are freaking us out and he's manufacturing boldness. See, we ask for breakthrough, but what we actually mean is an exit strategy. See, I'm not prophesying this particular thing for your 2020, but if you think that God should answer all your prayers according to your definition of an answer, 
you're gonna hit disappointment real quick. Some of us have stunted our growth because we've become disappointed with God and, in, and instead of continuing to obey anyway, we're like spiritual toddlers who've thrown ourselves on the floor and are refusing to move. We cannot grow unless we leave room for God's redemption. Look at the redemption, right? So the Israelites are just like, we're literally like, this, the Dead Sea is there, they're gonna overtake us, we're all gonna die. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Man, if ever that's a word we need to hear right now, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, just stay calm. And so we know the story. And the funny story is, Moses is like, look, Lord, the people are freaking out. And he's like, what do you expect me to do about it? And he's like, uh, you're the architect of this brilliant plan. I expect you to rescue us. And the Lord says to Moses, you do something about it. Raise your stick above the waters. And so that's what happened. He raised the stick. The waters parted. You know the story from your flannel graph, you know, <laughs> Sunday school days. And they walk across dry ground. My point is the solution that God provided was not on the radar of the people. Right? The solution came from outside of their thinking. I love what our dear friend Ray Hughes says about this story. He says, we want water parting power. God wants stick raising obedience. All right, we're gonna pop back to the New Testament for our final story. It's an interesting story. It's the story of John the Baptist. It says this, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, uh, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured and the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now, this is one of the craziest passages in the New Testament because Jesus earlier has talked about how legit John the Baptist is as a prophet. He's like, he's the greatest prophet. He's amazing. And his sole point of existence as a prophet was to identify the Messiah and prepare for him, prepare the way. And actually earlier, he'd done just that. At his baptism, he identified, oh, I saw the Spirit of God come down. This is the Lamb of God. So he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet he sends his disciples to say, are you really, did I, did I miss it? Did I just have an off day? So you're like, How, why is he embracing doubt? He's embracing doubt because of circumstance. Look what it says in verse two. John the Baptist, who was in prison. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because John, as a prophet, is just thinking, I know I'm facing certain death. And that's weird because the prophet Isaiah said that the Messiah, in addition to opening the eyes of the blind and having the lame walk and, and the deaf hearing and all of that stuff, it says that he would release the prisoners from captivity. 
and I'm a prisoner and I'm in captivity and he's not releasing me. So was I wrong? See, it's important that as we walk with the Lord, that we don't doubt in the dark that which we learn in the light. See, it's easy to sit in church, or maybe not today. It's easy to sit in church and have somebody encourage you when you don't need the encouragement. You're like, hey man, that's great. Yeah, tweet Instagram. But when you need it, you're like, where is God? He's exactly where he is when you heard the message. He's still on the throne. And he hasn't forgotten about you. But the trouble is you're trying to do earthly math with heavenly principles. Wait, you're supposed to be a releaser of captives. I'm in captivity. Therefore, you're not the Messiah. Ooh, we end up with sketchy, sketchy results when we try and do math with our own pain. Do you ever wonder why people's love grows cold for the Lord? Like I've walked with People, I've had colleagues, I've had friends, I've had close friends who've been more on fire for the Lord than I've been. And now, many of them are not walking with the Lord. I'm like, how is that possible? I don't have all the answers, but one observation is that many of these people held Jesus hostage to their expectations and then got mad when he didn't do things on their terms or in their timing. Danny and Sherry Silk were with us earlier this year in January and uh, Danny preached an amazing message. It was early January. If you weren't here, the message was called The Weapon of Gratitude. You can look it up on our website or listen to it on our podcast. But he said this in his message. He said, I let God shape my life or else I will try to shape God. See, many a sore spot has been hit in life when we try and shape what God is doing and resist his plan. When we demand answers and when we're resolute that we want to know instead of trusting, typically we end up in a bad place. Look at this. There's another interesting way where, where Jesus ends his conversation with John the Baptist's disciples. He says this, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Jesus is saying it's possible to fall away because of me. How does that make sense? You're the one I'm following. Well, it makes sense because we can fall away on account of Jesus and how resolute he is in being God. You've heard many times, many, many times, I've talked about the goodness of God. It's a message that has been etched upon my heart. But there's a danger that when we hear talk about the goodness of God, we think that God's some kind of like magical elf on the shelf, unicorn, Father Christmas, who does everything we ask and all of our prophecies will come through and we live happily ever after, amen, right? But that's not what it means. It means that he's good, but he's good on his terms. And sometimes we don't like the terms and conditions of his goodness, He's good in the, this sickness isn't unto death, and then Lazarus dies anyway. He's good in the, let me release you from captivity, only to lead you to a place where it looks like you've hit a dead end and you're about to die. He's good in that, I've come to set the captives free on a scale far larger than you can currently imagine. But here's the thing, if we stop short of what God is doing in our life because of our disappointment with him, 
then we're not going to see the beauty and the majesty of what he's trying to cultivate in this season of our life. We never get to see the resurrection of our Lazaruses. We never get to watch as the sea in our life parts and makes a way open for us. We never get to see the glorious fulfillment of what God was doing that we can't see from the prison cell of our own limited point of view. So what's the antidote? Well, there's probably many. I've got four of you for the four of I've got four of them for you this morning. The first one is thankfulness. It's really important that we understand that our lives are made up of seasons that are only understood with hindsight. Very rarely do you understand the season that you're in. If you notice that. Right? You're like, this sucks. So then you get out of the season, you're like, oh, I see what you're doing. That was genius. What bravo, well done. Huh? But sometimes our seasons will only be properly understood from eternity's perspective. And the question before us is, are we willing to trust even without answers that we might only get the other side of eternity? Because it might be what we signed up for. See, but the beautiful thing about thankfulness is it gives perspective. And every one of those stories brought resolution when viewed through the proper perspective. Thankfulness also creates breakthrough. Let me, let me read you two profound passages in the book of Psalms. It's either side of the same coin. Let's, let's read Psalm 50, verse 23. It says this, but giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. We'll talk later about why sometimes thanking God is a sacrifice. But for now, he says, giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I'll reveal to you the salvation of God. All right, so on one side of the coin, we're learning that thanksgiving, which is sometimes as a sacrifice, if you keep to the path of thanksgiving and walking with the Lord and you don't quit, he's gonna reveal to you the salvation, the purpose of the season that you're in. All right? Romans 1.21 is the other side of that coin. It says this, yes, they knew God, but they would not worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Here's the two choices that you're faced with for the rest of your life. Irrespective of season that you're facing, you got two choices. One, offer a sacrifice of thanks and keep to the path. Or two, refuse to thank God and end up with dark and confused minds. That's it your two choices. Thank God, even when it doesn't make sense, which is why it's a sacrifice, stay on the path or refuse to thank God and end up with dark and confused minds about what he's like. You're just mean. You're just testing me. All the stuff is nonsense. Blah, 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 blah. I love what Psalm 50 says. It says that staying on God's path, bringing a sacrifice of thanks, leads to revelation about how he is saving the season. And so here's your key. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. is one of the Apostle Paul's secret weapons. He writes this. He says, be thankful in all circumstances, which is great. He doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances because we go through some truly horrible circumstances. But in those circumstances, be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. It is God's will 
that we learn to be thankful in all situations. Can you say amen? amen? Okay, tricked you, right? So now you said it, you own it, okay? No returns, no take backs. First Thessalonians 5.18. And here's the beautiful thing. You will get plenty of opportunities to offer God thanks in situations you'd rather not be in. <laughs> well, take that as a witness, okay? <laughs> All right, the second key. The second key for helping manage our pain and our disappointment while we're waiting for the redemption of that pain to show up is the word. There is no better tool for a breakthrough than proclaiming the word. The word of God is to be spoken. That means it's more alive in your mouth than it is on your bedside table. I think it was Pastor Jeff who said this, the word of God can be as alive in your mouth than it is in his. You just have to proclaim it. Right? The word of God can be as alive in your mouth as it is in his. We just have to speak it. And here's your, your, your key verse, Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his, promise, his purpose for them. This is one of these verses that sadly has been relegated to being cross-stitched on a pillow right? or a fridge magnet. Or a bumper sticker. Yay, Romans 8, 20. It's not for that. It's to be used as a weapon of your warfare to decree the reality that's going around you. When everything else is just turning to sludge and you're like, what is going on? A much better thing to do than to ask, why is this going on? Is to declare, I don't know what's going on, but I know that this thing, this very situation is going to work together for my good. Because I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. Right? It's a, a powerful, powerful thing. It's a powerful verse that you and I can hold on to no matter how sorrowful your situation. No matter how much loss or grief you face, you can take comfort in Joel 2.25, which is just another version of Romans 8.28. The Lord says, Joel 2.25, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. That's a pretty comprehensive promise. No matter what kind of lo locust robbed life from you, whether it's financial, relational, um, job, career, opportunity, does not matter, God will give you back what you lost. And my experience of God and the truth of his word is that he is a genius at redemption. It's just rarely ever on our timetable. Revelation 21 verse five, because it's not a Christmas message if we're not preaching from Revelation, right? Revelation 21 verse five, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. What if in our pain of disappointment, we forget that God is in the process of making everything new? Number three, the prophetic. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. That tells me that our prophetic words are not a test to see if God is still speaking to us, but rather they're there for us to fight the battles we face. 
They're there to tell us what to do next. Or they're there to tell us what's coming next so we can prepare. Or they're there as a diving board into a pool of prayer for more understanding. It's really, really important that in seasons where disappointment is, is, is all around us, that we dig out our prophetic words because they tell us who we are to be rather than letting our circumstances dictate what we feel like we're to be. Because here's the problem. Walking with the Lord is interesting because he calls things that are not as though they are. So he calls Abraham, who is childless, the father of many nations. Not because God's mean, but because he's majestic. He's pointing to possibilities that are available in our journey with him. See, God knows the end from the beginning, which leads me to my last point. And it's the hardest one. It's all about waiting, and it's all about waiting well. My encouragement is, please do not quit. Please don't stop waiting. Many people stop just short of their inheritance. Imagine if the story ended with Lazarus dying, but God had another plan. Imagine if the people just quit on Moses, but God had another plan. Imagine if John the Baptist never got the understanding on the other side of eternity. Here's the thing, there is no substitute for waiting on the Lord. There isn't, I've tried it. I've tried speeding up the process by prayer, by fasting, by giving alms, by stacking chairs, by doing everything I can, like, ah! But there, you cannot get away from God's timetable. Psalm 37, verse seven says this, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Seriously, I can't offer hints, suggestions. I can't send him links of websites. I can't remind him of things he's done for people. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. If there's, if there's anything more painful than waiting for God to act, it's watching other people who are less righteous getting what you're waiting for. You're like, maybe if I did that, like, I, I mean, of course, I'll do a nice redeemed version of that, but maybe I could speed up the process. The Lord's just like, ooh, okay, slow it down. <laughs> Couple of things. Usually when I teach about this verse, right about now you're really mad at me because you're like, are you, for the love of all that's holy, do you know what my 2019 has been? I've literally done nothing other than wait on God. And you're telling me you wait. Well, a couple of things. <laughs> First of all, are you waiting in his presence? Or are you waiting in the echo chambers of your own mind? Does your waiting look like God? If you don't give me the answers, I'm out of here. Like seriously, I'm gonna go to another church. Yeah, you like that. Or worse, I'm gonna quit going to church. Ha ha, in your face. Now what are you gonna do? God's gonna like, ah, well, think, see, the thing is, eternity's on my side, so I'm content to wait. And I've noticed that geography makes no difference to your problems. So you just go to another church or you quit church and ta-da, who are you? I'm your problems. <laughs> I've come to accompany you because it's been decreed for you a season of waiting. You're like, ah, right? Or is your waiting look like, God, I trust you. I don't understand the season, but I trust you. Because there is an enormous difference between those two mindsets. 
Three Psalms later, we read this in Psalm 40, verse one. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and he heard my cry. I've mentioned this before. I had a dream a number of years ago and in the dream, the dream started in black and white and it was filled with despair. It was filled with people I loved who were all in despair. They're all disappointed with God. They were all frustrated. And so I didn't understand why people were frustrated. I brought them all into this room This room was dilapidated, it was dark, water was leaking in through the ceiling, it was damp, it was miserable. And drawn across this back wall was a huge black curtain. So I walked in and everyone was like, see, this is why we're disappointed. And I was like, this isn't right. And so I went over to the curtain and I peeked behind the curtain and I turned to Dabney and I said, Dabney, you know what's going on, don't you? And she's like, yeah. I was like, these people, they've never learned to live through a season. Dabney, you've lived through a season, haven't you? And Dabney says to me, I've lived through many. And just like that, the whole season changes. The whole scene changes. It's no longer black and white. It's like the inside of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's amazing. It's bright. It's colorful. There's abundance everywhere. And then the scene, it changes. And Jeff and I are sat on a bench looking at this glorious landscape of abundance. And either I turn to Jeff or Jeff turns to me or I hear a voice, I can't remember, I'd have to look it up in in my journal. But this is what I hear or this is what I say, this statement. We sure will look foolish grumbling about our lack on the day of his supply. See, the waiting is where some of the most precious praise is offered. We talked earlier about offering a a sacrifice of thanksgiving. See, when breakthrough happens, no faith is required to thank him. Right? And we eradicate all the pain and all the accusation we laid at his feet. Oh, God, thank you. I knew you'd come through. Did you? It's like, oh, you're amazing, you're amazing. But before the breakthrough comes is the time to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Well, what does that look like, Lord? I don't understand, but I trust you. Lord, I don't understand. This is not what I planned for. This is not what I prepared for. I'm not even confident I asked asked you for it. But nevertheless, here I am. You're still God. You're still on the throne. I don't understand, but I will trust you. That is incredibly worthy to the Lord. You don't need to fake it. You just say, Lord, I am sad and I am hurt and I am disappointed, but I refuse to lay the blame at you because I know at some point later in this life or in the next, you're gonna give me perspective and I trust you. And the Lord's like, oh, I love that. I can move forward with that. This is my last slide. But as I was thinking about this whole process, I was thinking about how we often want the testimony without the test. Like, well, we want the end result without the process. And yet the Bible gives us a beautiful recipe, and by beautiful, I mean torturous recipe for maturity. It teaches us how to be complete and mature and lack nothing. And this is the recipe. It's found in James chapter one. Let's read this together and shiver. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I know what you're thinking. I read it, so I don't have to go through it. It's not how the Bible works, all right? But this is what it says. It says, hey, you know what? If you take some trials... 
And the beautiful thing about trials is they'll test your faith. And by test your faith, you'll be like, well, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? That's a test of your faith. He's still on the throne or he's not, right? And by the way, your choice of that doesn't determine whether he is or he isn't. It just determines your outlook. Which if you keep pressing into God will produce perseverance. By the way, perseverance is moving forward without the answers you want. Right? That's the definition of perseverance. And then this cute little phrase where it talks about finishing its work, which by the way is just another way of saying God's going to add delay to this whole process. I guarantee you it's going to take way longer than you signed up for. Right? You know that phrase? You know when you were cooking like AJ and I take turns cooking with our kids on Saturday. Like uh, they want to bake. So we bake stuff. And so I can sense her anticipation of like, are they done yet? And the sadness in their voice when I look at it and go, no, they need a little more time in the oven. Their sadness is, why can't they have them now? But my experience says you wouldn't want them even if you could. <laughs> but that's like us. Like, oh, I think I'm done. Like we're, we're experts on our level of when trials should be left. I think I've learned everything I need to think. I'm good, Lord. Let's go. I'm about as mature as you're open for. Let's go. And the Lord's like, oh, you're adorable. A little more time in the oven. And you're like, why? He says these five things, by the way, if we learn to consider that whole process of death joy, by the way, these five things make us mature and complete. The maturity offers you a perspective larger than the season you're currently in. Do you know why God gives us other believers who are more seasoned than us? It's so that we can go describe the season that we're in and they can sit with us and go, yeah, this too will pass. And it's not theory because they've done it and they've come out the other side and they're gleaming. See, we're wrapping up 2019 with 2020 around the corner. It would be a tragedy if we missed the beauty of our own disappointment and didn't process it well before the Lord. My encouragement to you this morning is don't write off your life because one season sucks. Like when we're in this season, we just think this is what the rest of my life's gonna look like. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Is this the season God's not finished writing your story? Let him turn the page and see what happens because he's still on the throne and he's still in the business of making all things new. Before our, our first service, um, our intercessors were meeting and, and uh, st- they didn't know what I was speaking on. They had no clue. And Harvey uh, had a vision. He's reminded of a vision he had where angels were going over to um, uh, garbage cans and you know, garbage dumps and just pulling things out. And he said to the Lord, Lord, what are the angels doing? And the Lord said to him, oh, the angels are going to recover discarded inheritances, discarded dreams by people who just think it, it was never going to happen, so I may as well get rid of it. And he's given an invitation for them to be picked up again. Didn't know what I was talking on. And so my encouragement to you this morning is, you're here. You haven't quit. You haven't given up. You're here. God's going to do something amazing and powerful because it's who he is and it's what he's like. And you are destined more from the season you currently find yourself in. Let's stand and let me pray for us and then we'll go eat tacos. Lord Jesus, thank you for 
for the promise and the truth, Lord, that you are making all things work together for the good of us, Lord, that those who, who love you and who believe and have put our trust and our hope in you. And today, Lord, I ask that you would um, encourage us, that you would strengthen us, Lord, that you would surround us with people, Lord, who've been where we are, who can encourage us that this is not death. It's, it's gonna be a glorious, glorious transformation. And Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for um, just even this Christmas season. Lord, we thank you for the changing of seasons, even in the natural as we go from 19 to 20. Lord, that you would just purpose in our hearts a resolute desire to obey you, to follow you, to give you a sacrifice of praise. Lord, I thank you that our journey with you is a lifelong journey. It's not just done in a short bursts, Lord, but it's a marathon of joy being with you. And so, Lord, for those of us who need a change in our perspectives or even just respite from the distress that we're feeling, Lord, I ask that that would come swiftly and you would do something amazing. You bring testimonies for us, Lord, of your goodness and your redemption. And we ask all of those things in Jesus' name. Amen.